Welcome to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast, where we stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My name is Emeka, and I'll be talking to a variety of my professionals in the real estate industry to help you buy your first real estate investment. At the end of each podcast, I'll provide three actual items that you can do today to help you get 1% closer to your goals of buying your first real estate investment. My goal with this podcast is to show you that regular people like you and me can buy properties to build wealth. Today, we have Joe Ballesteri. An accomplished realtor based in Kansas City, licensed, licensed in both Kansas and Missouri since 2020. With a passion for real estate and a commitment to client success, Joe brings exceptional communication skills to every transaction helping buyers, sellers, and investors achieve their goals. Before entering the real estate industry, Joe spent a decade coaching college basketball at reputable institutions like Bank University, the University of Tulsa, Wake Forest University, and Washburn University. This background instilled valuable leadership and teamwork skills that contribute to Joe's effectiveness in the real estate market. Beyond professional achievements, Joe treasures family above all else. Married to the amazing Brooke, he is a proud parent to three incredible children, two girls and one boy. The family-centric approach shapes Joe's commitment to excellence in both personal and professional pursuits. That's us in the job. All right, okay. what's going on? So you want to tell the world who you are and what you do? <clears throat> yeah, uh, my name is Joe Balistrieri. I am a real estate agent in the Kansas City market. Um, and I also invest in single family uh, residential right now uh, with plans to expand into uh, commercial as well as multifamily. Yeah, everyone can notice by the shirt that you're a Kansas City fan. So I'm a Washburn. Right. I didn't know that, uh, this is my old basketball coach, but he switched to the real estate world. So um, what made you get into real estate in general? Uh, I first started... Um, I was actually kind of exploring, like you said, I used to coach college basketball for about 10 years and I was kind of exploring. I started to have a fan. My first daughter was born and I started to expand my family and realized that I wanted to get into something different that was more appropriate for the goals I had for my family. And originally I actually just, my wife was like, you always talk about real estate. Cause I've always been interested in investing in real estate. Didn't really know where to start. Um, but I knew that I wanted to own real estate and wanted to uh, for that to be a big portion of my portfolio. And so my wife one day was just like, why don't you just get your license and start selling real estate? <clears throat> and I was like, well, that actually sounds like a good idea. I mean, it's something I'm interested in, something I like. And I started to kind of research what all that meant. And sure enough, it made perfect sense. So I jumped into it a little over three years ago. So, so you said you've always been interested in real estate. What became so popular or so cool about real estate? Why not the stock market? Why not bonds, crypto or anything else? I think a lot of it is just the people I was around. So um, I I really wanted to invest in land actually is what really got me into wanting to own real estate Um, here in the Midwest. um, You know, I live in Kansas City um, and my wife's family has a house at the Lake of the Ozarks. So we spend a lot of time going to the Ozarks. And when you drive down from Kansas City to the Ozarks, um, it's a lot of raw land. And I grew up in uh, a town in Missouri, Lee Summit, Missouri, uh, which is the biggest city land wise in the state of Missouri, um, but not the biggest population wise. because There's a lot of vacant land, a lot of raw land, a lot of farmland and, and things like that. And as I would drive down to the lake, I would always see all these properties on both sides of the highway. And occasionally they'd come up for sale and I'd start looking into what they were listed for and things like that. And I started to realize like the owners of these properties, if they sell them for what they want, then they're making a massive profit. And that kind of got my wheels spinning. And I was like, you know, raw land, you can 
invest money into it, right? And then requires very little as far as maintenance and things. Um, you can hire or lease out the farming rights and things like that. So that was kind of how it got my wheels turning um, in the real estate side. Um, and then I actually met a gentleman down at the lake who um, a couple that were one owned a bunch of storage facilities. And so that kind of got my wheels spinning on, you know, how the different um, different areas of real estate that you can invest in and, and things like that. And then I met another gentleman who I asked him what he did for a living. He's like, oh, I just own a bunch of rentals. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I own a bunch of houses and I rent them out. And I just, you know, most of, most of the week, I just spend some time. He was managed, self-managing them. Uh, he was a very handy guy and very hands-on. But he's like, if I have an issue, I'd go over to a house and fix whatever needs to be fixed. And otherwise, man, I just kind of scour for more properties to buy. And I was like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of what got me um, initially started and, and, um, wanting to invest in real estate. So were you a basketball coach then whenever you met this guy with all the land? Okay, yep. cool. So yeah, that's when I was still coaching and had no aspirations of getting out of coaching at that time. I just knew I wanted to, you know, invest in real estate. Um, and then as my family grew, that's when it became evident to me that I needed to make a switch. So for sure. So why didn't you coach and invest? What, what made you think that you couldn't do both? Um, more so I didn't think that I couldn't do both. Um, but for me, what I, my goal was to get more time with my family. Um, especially as my kids were younger or are younger, my, my oldest is five. I've got three kids that are five and under. So I knew I wanted to spend a lot of time with them and coaching didn't allow me that opportunity. Um, and so that was the biggest reason why I jumped out of coaching and got into real estate as a full-time job. I think I could have still invested um, in real estate. I don't think you need to be an agent or need to work in the real estate industry. I think it helps to a degree, um, but I don't think you need to be in the real estate industry in order to invest in real estate. Um, you just have to have the education and the um, and the funds and the proper uh, network in order to invest in real estate. So um, two very different reasons that, you know, I didn't just get into real estate because I wanted to invest into it. I just got into real estate because I liked it and I needed to make a switch for the family. So, so you're a realtor now and now you're investing in single family homes. So what made you choose single family homes and how are you, how are you choosing what homes to pick? Uh, originally I got into single family because um, the barrier to entry was lower. Uh, so um, obviously when you get into multifamily, you're looking at, um, either higher priced real estate or you're looking at larger um, rehab proper uh, projects and things like that. So I wanted to get into single family because I wanted to get into it quickly. Um, and we looked into, I kind of looked all over, but we were at the time uh, when I first jumped into investing, I was living in Topeka, Kansas. Um, and then also as a coach, I used to deal with um and work with as you remember uh all the athletes or all the basketball players to find housing and make sure they knew where they were living for each year and who was living with who and all that and we were really fortunate because we had a um there was a local apartment complex that had a um um the lady that ran it was great to us and she allowed us the flexibility of Hey, I know we're going to bring in a couple guys, but it's not going to be until maybe August. And they were very flexible and allowed us to do some things to make sure we had housing secured. But 
as I talked to other coaches, they didn't have those same relationships and they always struggled with finding places for their athletes to live and, and the flexibility of some athletes are going to move in later and some athletes are going to leave earlier and things like that. So um, that's where I kind of saw a opportunity to say, Hey, if I can buy a house that I can then provide um, and rent to some athletes and then provide the coaches with an opportunity to say, Hey, like, I know I'm going to have some kids. I'm going to have four kids for this house. Uh, I don't know when they're going to be here or what their names are or who they're going to be, but I will have four guys. Then that's a service to those coaches. And then it's also for me, it's like, well, I know they're going to have a basketball team next year. So if a couple guys move out, a couple guys will move in and it benefits both of us. So that's what led me to really jumpstart my uh, investing in Topeka, Kansas. Also the, uh, prices of houses in Topeka, Kansas are significantly lower than uh, like the Kansas City market. So for me, it was a much lower barrier to entry. Um, now, what comes with that is I focus more on cash flow than I do appreciation for that very reason. Um, but the beautiful thing about real estate is there's so many different avenues to make money that you can make money in any market, in any property, and in one of a few different ways, you know? I love it. I love it. And I love the fact that you say you can make money in any any market in any many different ways. And I know a lot of people right now are holding off buying because the interest rates are high. And I was actually at a, a market update yesterday and they said, and there was a couple of people in the, in the audience that said, you know, they bought houses whenever the interest rates are 18 to 20%. And, you know, to me, I've, I've never seen an interest rate that high. So that just seems insane. But with interest rates, and other things in the market. Why do you think people wait so long? I think a lot of that is, um, obviously the interest rate is gonna have a great impact on your monthly cost, right? To owning a property. I think a lot of people get focused solely on cash flow, And I think cash flow is important, um, but I think they forget about all the appreciation and what opportunities are there once interest rates do drop? So I think a lot of people look at a property and they say, well, if I buy this property, my payment's going to be, let's just say, for example, my payment's going to be $2,000 and I can only rent that place for $2,100. And that only gives me a hundred extra dollars a month in cash flow, And that doesn't, that's not taking into account any sort of reserves, any sort of um, capital expenses or repairs or things that come up down the road. And if those things occur, then they're coming out of pocket for it. Um, and that's definitely something you have to consider. But if you're looking at this as an investment over not just the short term, but the long term, if you can buy a property now and maybe you're only cash flowing $100 or $200 a month, but when those interest rates drop and you refinance, that's going to lower your monthly payment, uh, number one, which is going to increase your cash flow. But then also that property is going to go up in value over time. So as that, that property goes up in value, that increases your return on the back end once you're ready to sell, or it increases your ability to leverage that if you want to leverage that property to get access to more capital so that you can buy more properties. Um, so I think some people just get caught up in thinking, oh, I need to cash flow, and that's all that matters. And a lot of that is just a short-term mindset, right? Like, And I get it because if you've only got $20,000 to invest and you buy a property for $100,000 and you put $20,000 down and then you're only making $100 a month and the air conditioner goes out two weeks later, you know, like that's going to be a 
you know, four or $5,000 expense that you're going to have to eat. And I get that. So you have to make sure that you just are aware of those risks and that you have some funds available for that pro for that very purpose. So if you've got $25,000 to invest, don't spend all $25,000 on a down payment. Make sure you've got some cash reserves to make sure you can cover any sort of expenses like that. Then you don't have to be so consumed with the cash flow. But I think that's one of the big barriers to entry for a lot of people, especially from a mind state, from a mind standpoint and getting their mind wrapped around the idea of investing. And that's how interest rates have such a big impact on their ability to generate cash flow. But also it is a huge opportunity if you have the ability and the funds, whether it's through a private investor or, you know, if you just got savings saved up or whatever it is, if you've got an ability to purchase right now with high interest rates, there is a very big opportunity right now because a lot of buyers have left the market. A lot of the people who are only focused on cash flow have left the market. And if you buy a property now and interest rates drop by, you know, a full percent in the next year, two years, then when you refinance, that's going to boost your cash flow like crazy. And at that point in time, more investors are going to jump into the market. So if you wait till then to buy, you'll be buying at a higher price, which is going to increase your monthly cost, right? And your cash flow might not be as good. But if you buy now and refinance later, your cash flow is going to be fantastic. So it's just got to be a long-term play. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the best time to buy is yesterday. That's what I've always been saying. So, That's right. <laughs> and you answered this this question just previously, but what would you say is for the new investor, where do they start? So I think the best place to start is, and, and I know I kind of answered this before on what keeps people from jumping into it, but one of the, th the other things that keeps people from jumping into it or, or pulling the trigger is a lack of um, knowledge or a lack of education. So like, I think to, the first thing you should start doing is just consuming as much information as you can about real estate investing. Um, when I first started, I spent probably at least a year to a year and a half. Just I was listening to bigger pockets like crazy. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I started reading some investment books and things like that. And then I started analyzing deals. And so I was just trying to consume as much information as I possibly could. And when I first started, I'll be honest, I was like, it was like drinking from a fire hose, right? You listen to a Bigger Pockets podcast and somebody's got, you know, 180 doors. And when they started, they maybe they had a uncle who loaned them $100,000 a jump, you know, and it just seemed like, okay, these things are just, this is just way beyond what I'm capable of. Um, but as I continued to consume that information and, and really started to do my research and I started to realize like, this is very doable. And all of a sudden I've listened to maybe a hundred podcasts and I'm thinking to myself, these are just a hundred people that are just like me that just want to, they said, you know what, I want to get into this because I want the, whether they wanted the freedom or they just wanted the the security that that comes along with having some cash flowing and, and appreciating assets. And Eventually, I just said to myself, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it too, right? So I think getting as much information as you can is the most important to get started. And then also developing your strategy. There's so many different ways to make money like we've talked about. My biggest, I, I was one of those guys that looked heavily into cash flow because I knew I wanted to invest a smaller amount of money <clears throat> and wanted to make sure that I wanted to be as sure as I could that if I invested this money, 
and bought a property that any issues that come up after the fact could be covered by the cash flow. And now there's certainly risk and it's, it's not, it's impossible to make that hundred percent true. But I knew that if I could just get maybe two or three months down the road after I purchased this property and got it rented, that the cash flow would be enough that if something happened, I could take care of it. So I developed my, you know, my spreadsheet and my deal analysis based on that. And I, I just started looking at properties and I probably analyzed, you know, a, a, a property would come up on Zillow and I would start analyzing how many bedrooms is it? What do I think I can charge per bedroom since I'm renting to college students and I'm renting by the, the room instead of by the house? Um, and would that make the cash flow that I needed? And so I got really, really good at analyzing deals after deal after deal. And it'd just be random properties on Zillow. And some of them, you know, would be, I would negative cash flow $500 if I bought that property, right? But at least I knew that that was the case. <laughs> and then I got to a point where after doing that over and over and again, then I'd start looking at Zillow and I'd see a house and I'd see it's a three bedroom for $125,000. And I'd say, I can't cash flow that unless I look at pictures and I'd say, can I add a bedroom? So if I can add a bedroom and get it to four bedrooms, then that's going to make the cash flow. And I wouldn't have to necessarily go through the whole deal analysis because you start to realize what it is you're looking for. And then I was very bullish on like, if it doesn't fit, I'm not buying it. Right. And that's one thing that is extremely important as you get into investing as well, because so many people will try to push the issue, you know, and, and I've got a partner, um, I've got two partners in, in my rental properties and we were luckily on the same page and we had a lot of conversations where we'd see a property come up and I might want to pull the trigger. And my partner was like, no, man, this doesn't make sense. And then vice versa, he'd see one and he'd be like, man, this would be perfect. And I'm like, well, it doesn't make sense numbers wise. And so we really did a good job of sticking to that. And that's was the key to our success in the beginning. How long did it take you from being a coach to a realtor and then to getting your first properties? It took me about, well, it takes no time at all to become a realtor. You can take all the classes online. I mean, I think I, I think from start to finish, become a realtor, it took me about maybe six weeks to get everything done. And then what I did was I kind of, I, I, I took the test. I did everything to get my license and everything. And then I said to myself, okay, now I've got this opportunity. Is this really what I want to do? So when I did jump from coaching, I kind of hit the ground running in, uh, in real estate and selling real estate. And then it was about, um, I think it was about six, eight months later after that, that I ended up, we ended up buying our first property, but my partner and I also had, we had been talking for about a year and a half before we bought our first property. So we had started, we wrote, you know, we, since I had a partner, we, we developed our LLC, we had an operating agreement, we had all these things in place so that we knew, we just wanted to set ourselves up that when that first property came, and it made sense, we were ready to jump on it. And we didn't have to do all these things after the fact. So that was kind of our process. Cool. Earlier, you said that you've been analyzing so many deals that when a, when a deal popped up on Zillow, you knew immediately if it was going to cash flow or not. How many deals did it take you to analyze until you were able to know off the bat if something was good or not? Be a rough estimate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, a rough estimate, at least at least 60 or 70 deals that I looked at and just analyzed. And, um, and again, all I was doing was getting on Zillow and seeing like, you know, if you get on Zillow in the morning and see five houses in the area that you think you want to invest in and look at 
what the, I mean, all I'd really needed to do once I developed the uh, spreadsheet was plug in the purchase price, plug in the number of bedrooms and plug in the amount that I thought I could get per bedroom. And then the spreadsheet would do the rest of it and spit it out. So in, in a, once I got that developed, I mean, it'd take me two minutes to analyze a property, right? So I would just get on and look and I might see five properties and analyze five properties in 10 minutes. And you know what I mean? So I was, I was doing high rate, um, but I probably analyzed 60, 70 deals before uh, we found the right one. And we probably, in the beginning, to be honest with you, there was probably a few that would have worked uh, just at that point in time. I didn't realize that they would have worked, right? Um, maybe I wasn't ready or or whatever. Um, so it's not like I looked at, it's not like I passed on 60 or 70 deals before the right one came up, but it took me 60 to 70 deals to get comfortable knowing exactly what I was looking for and be able to identify when that property became available, that it was the right one for me. The other thing I did um, that I think, and this kind of gets back to what, what you should do if you're trying to get into investing, is I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people who either invested in real estate or I talked to a lot of realtors. I talked to a lot of uh, lenders um, and just had conversations with people about investing. And so every deal that I bought, I bought off market. And that's only happened because I had conversations with people and a realtor in Topeka um, who I had a good relationship with just because we had met and communicated and I talked to him and we, you know, bounced ideas off of each other. And, and he, he called me one day and said, Hey, I got this house coming up. It's right across the street from campus. Um, it's, uh, you know, here's the price, here's the, uh, number of bedrooms. And if you're interested in it, let me know. And he said the, the seller, he didn't have a, an agreement to sell it yet. And he said, I know the seller and he wants to sell it. Um, and he'd like to do it off market. And so I said, perfect. Like, and it made sense for us. So we were able to purchase that before it went to market, which eliminated all the competition. So we got very fortunate with that, but that happened because we were strategic in the people that we were talking to in the conversations we were having. I wanted to be known in Topeka as a guy that was looking to buy single family rentals around campus. And by doing that, we bought all of our rentals that way. We've had people come to us and say, you know, the last one that we bought was actually a former uh, football player. His dad bought a house when he was in school and his son was graduating. He didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And he's like, hey, I know you guys own houses. Do you want to buy mine? And we said, sure. So the pricing made sense and it all came together. And it was a win-win for both of us because he didn't have to deal with putting it on the market. He didn't have to deal with, the, you know, guessing how much he was going to get for it, things like that. And then we didn't have to deal with competition purchasing it. So that helped us as well quite a bit. Cool, cool, cool. So how many doors do you have or how many properties do you currently own? Currently, we own three properties and we are looking to get at least one more before the spring and hopefully have two more before August. So the big thing for us has been my partners and I, we wanted to put in initial investment and our goal, our one of our big goals has been not to incur, not to have to add into that investment. So, we want this to be a passive portion of our portfolio, and so we all put in our initial investment, and we bought our first property or first two properties with that initial investment, and then the third property came to us because we we actually used hard money to purchase, and with the amount of cash flow and um, that we're getting through the three properties and the amount of reserves we have built up we're able to pay off that hard money with 
the cash flow from the three properties. So, so far it's been working out, but we've grown a little bit slower because of that, because we don't want to necessarily take too much of our personal uh, cash to put into it. So now we're trying to get more strategic in, in, in how we're purchasing each property. Some, some people will say you had an advantage because you were a coach at Washburn. So you already had the connections with some of the parents and some of the coaches. But whenever you went to a realtor, you were no longer a coach. What would you what would you say for someone who wants to get into running to student athletes? How could they um, build these connections and how could they start running to specifically student athletes and do what you're doing if they're not a coach? Uh, that's a great question. So um, I'm not going to lie to you. I think I did have an advantage, um, but I also think everybody's got an advantage of some of some kind. Right. So. And and just because somebody has an advantage doesn't mean they're able to capitalize on that advantage, right? And take and you and you know and and so um, I think that one uh, just having conversations with the either you know a lot of the times depending on what university you're looking at um, the head coach is not always going to be the guy that's handling the housing situation, right? So having conversations with those coaches and just seeing if there's a way that you can provide value, right? Um, and then also, um, you can market to universities specifically, uh, whether that be with flyers and things, a lot of the old school traditional marketing tactics are very prevalent on college campuses because college campuses are such, um, highly transited areas, right? So like people are always walking, students are always walking around campus. Um, they're always going from place to place. There's always flyers all over every board, every, you know, light pole, all sorts of things. So you can do some more old school traditional marketing if you wanted to uh you know providing you had a property and handing out flyers that this is becoming available this and that um but i would say getting in with i want to be with into the athletes because one i knew like i got started in this during covid and what i learned during covid is like you know there's a lot of forbearance going on a lot of forgiveness on rents and things like that but the one thing that didn't change was student athletes scholarships did not change during COVID. So I was like, you know what, like these guys, you know, and unfortunately for us, cause I was still coaching at the time it, it, when, when COVID first started, it's like, these guys know what they're getting every month. There's no change in it. There, there's um, it's not going to be, you know, at the end of the year, they might lose their scholarship or they might transfer things like that. They can change, but somebody else is going to come in and fill their spot. Right. So that's why I wanted to go towards gear towards athletes as well, because I knew they had, I didn't have to rely on. Fortunately, I don't have to rely on a Washburn basketball player getting a job outside of um, outside of basketball in order to pay for their rent. Um, and so that just made it a little bit more appealing to me. Um, but I would say having conversations with the, the staff at whatever university you're close to or wanting to invest in um, and just being open-minded to the value you can provide to them, which my value is, Hey, here's this house, your guy, your athletes are going to be able to rent it no matter what happens. I don't care if you have four of them right now, if one of them transfers in, in August, if they need that, you know, if three of the athletes need the house in May, but one's not coming in until August, like whatever it is, um, so being able to provide that value too is is and figuring out what that value is is important. That's great advice. What advice would you give for the inspiring investor to get their first property? It would be just analyze deals, De develop your strategy, 
develop whatever it is. Um, you know, it, it, for me, it was a spreadsheet. Whatever it is that you can do to use to analyze deals, I would recommend a spreadsheet. Uh, but uh, analyze deals and figure out exactly what fits your your investment strategy, and then stick to that. Don't don't deviate from it. Know what you want to do. Jump into it, and then ultimately, you just got to take the jump and the plunge, right? Um, so. One thing that was really, really big for me that got me over the hurdle to buy my first property is I, I had talked to several lenders and we kind of chose the one that we were going to go with. And I was having a conversation with them about buying our first property. And he said, okay, what are you going to do if, uh, if things hit the fan, if things just go awry? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, what if you buy this property and you can't rent it out? And I said, well we're putting 20% down. So I was like, if I can't rent it, I'm just going to turn around and sell it. And he's like, as long as you sell it for 80% of what you bought it for, I'm good. And I was like, I'm good too. Perfect. Like, you know, it's a, it's a risk, right? I didn't want to lose that 20% that I put down, but for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to spend this 20%. And if things hit the fan, I'm going to lose that 20% and nothing else. Right. Like, that's the beauty of real estate. And with it being an appreciating asset, I knew that if I bought a property and everything went south and I didn't like it, and I couldn't you know, get it to work, then I could just turn around and sell it. And I'm already out the money that I already spent. So there's no more money feasibly should be coming out of my pocket if this goes south, right? And then as long as I can make the bank 80% back, they're going to be fine. And I move on down the road with a lesson. And luckily, it never came to that, but that's what gave me, that was the conversation that really got me over the, the, the hump and said, all right, I'm ready to dive in. I love it. So we're going to move on to the next segment where I ask the same three questions to every guest. So for the first question, what is the most impactful speech or lesson that stuck with you forever and helped your real estate career? Um, I would say the most, maybe not a speech or, uh, but a lesson I learned from a book, um, which was I read Extreme Ownership about um, 12 years ago. Uh, and the biggest lesson from that book that stuck with me was uh, discipline equals freedom. And that's been one thing that I've applied to my life in general, to every area of my life that has had a great impact on the success that I've achieved. So, um, and specifically when it comes to real estate, the discipline to know exactly what you're looking for and stay true to what you're looking for without deviating, without trying to force the issue is ultimately what has given me the freedom of owning my rental properties. Does that make sense? So discipline equals freedom has been probably the biggest impact on, on my life as a whole and, and my investing career. What are the two books you would recommend an inspiring investor to read right now? Um, I would say start with, um, it, it's a little cliche, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad was really big Purple for Bible. me. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And it's funny because um, I don't necessarily agree with, um, I'm going to butcher his name, but the author, uh, I don't Robert necessarily Kiyosaki. agree with him. Yeah, Kiyosaki. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the things that he puts out um, as far as his views on the market and, and what an investment is and things like that. But uh some of the stuff you said lately, I think is just kind of off the wall, but that book was very pivotal for me. I think there's a lot of really good value and a lot of really good um, education in that book. So I would say start there. Uh, another book that um, 
has helped me in my real estate career has been Don't Split the Difference by Chris Boss, uh, Boss, uh, who actually was a local Kansas City uh, police officer when he started and he ended up working for the FBI and doing some hostage negotiations. And it's all about um, not just about negotiating, but also about um, communicating and um, another great book I'd recommend. Perfect. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, man, that is such a great question. Um, <laughs> it may not have much to do with my real estate uh, background, but I would it, it may a little bit, but I would probably I would love to have dinner with Shaquille O'Neal. Um, he won his personality is just on another level. Um, and then obviously the basketball connection and, and being a, a basketball junkie. But also um, that guy's investment portfolio is insane. And he has done seemingly from you know from my point of view an amazing job of capitalizing on his uh his investments and things and and he's turned a lot of um a lot of good cash not necessarily cash flow but uh he's in he's met some pretty major investments that i'd love to pick his brain about i love it i love it and lastly how can anybody reach you or get in contact with you if they have any questions uh, so I am on uh, Instagram and, and uh, Facebook at Joseph Edward B. Um, and you can find me there. You can DM me. You can uh, shoot me a message. I'm pretty, you know, as a realtor, uh, my information is out there all over the place. So you can you can track down my phone number and my email and, and all sorts of things pretty easy. But the best way to probably get a hold of me is uh, Facebook or Instagram at Joseph Edward B. All right, Justin, thank you so much for uh, joining the podcast and hopefully I'll have you again soon. Yeah, appreciate it, buddy. Great to see you. That was Joe, everybody. At the beginning of the podcast, I told you I'd give you three actionable steps that you can do today in order to get you 1% closer to your goal about your first real estate investment. Number one is analyze, analyze, analyze deals. Go on Zillow, Craigslist, LoopNet, whatever it takes to figure out what properties around you are being sold for. And then go on Bigger Pockets, download the calculator, or create your own calculator on Excel and figure out what you can expect things to be sold for if they are under price. Number two, figure out who are the ones listing these properties and reach out to them. Shoot them an email today. Let them know exactly what, they, what you want to do. It may take you seriously. They may not. But as you grow and as you continue to educate yourself, they'll, they'll start sending you things. They'll start sending you pocket listings. They'll just start asking or answering more of your questions. That's not like they didn't do it to begin with. And third, what is the closest college campus next to you? Figure out what the properties around it are being rented for, and then figure out if it's a full ride athletic school or not. So if it's a full ride, that means that all the sports or majority of the sports can get possibly get full ride athletes. So see what the things around them are being rented for, and maybe even go download an app. There's a rent by the room app and see what rooms are being rented for. That's what Joe does. He rents it out by the room. So you can do it too. If it might be your niche, it may not. Hopefully that helps. See you next time.